You ready to play ball? The Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney gives you an insider's perspective Monday through Friday with the biggest names, stories, and analysis in the sport. Follow Baseball Tonight, as well as That's What She Said, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. Hi, my name is Carrie Champion, and my dilemma is... I start the day thinking I'm only going to have one glass of wine. And by the end of the day, it's a bottle. And that happens more often than not. I have a problem. Two words, canned wine. Now, listen, this is not a long term solution. It's not for special occasions. It's not when you're in the mood for that very specific bottle of cab that you got on vacation in Napa. But it is a good way to cap your indulging if you're truly doing it every day. And if capping your indulging is actually what you want. Obviously, we all know a big open bottle of wine is too tempting and you don't want to waste it by not drinking it. And now there are actually some good wines that come in cans. Or you could always do those half wine bottles if you're, you know, too bougie for aluminum. Um, You can always open another can or a bottle or a case. But hopefully, if you actually do want to slow yourself down and it's not just wishful thinking, the act of actually opening up another is enough of a stop sign to remind you of the limitations that you put on yourself before starting. It's kind of like, you know, pouring chips in a bowl instead of eating out of the bag. Now, that being said, everything sucks right now. And I am feeling it hard. The news, uh, the police shootings, mass shootings, immigrant restrictions, the ongoing COVID-related stuff. It's all a lot right now. So feel free to let wine help you for a while, but do keep an eye on how much you're leaning on it because it's kind of easy to joke about and we can all have the dish towels that say, you know, wind me up and watch me go or all I need is wine. Um, But it's pretty easy to get into unhealthy patterns that aren't easy to get out of. So it's good that you're you got your eye on it, Carrie. Try some of that canned wine. Drink it nice and slow. That's what she said. Hey, everybody. I hope you're all hanging in there. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode. Uh, it's been it's been rough for me the last week or two, um, from the Derek Chauvin trial to Adam Toledo to Dante Wright. I'm just kind of feeling overwhelmed by life and the news. Um, trying to skip social media a little more, trying not to scroll aimlessly just to see more bad news. And uh, a couple days ago, I posted on Twitter about burnout, as I saw some women in the industry talk about leaving their their gigs in the journalist world. They just needed a break. And I, I think that feeling that, you know, life and work and the things we used to be grateful for and fulfilled by just, you know, aren't hitting the same way right now. And I know for me, it's a lot of things that are out of my control and aren't actually about the job. Um, so I'm being patient with myself and allowing myself to feel the feelings and finding good ways to escape the news and accomplish things outside of work, connect with friends and family and get all that good extrovert energy exchange that I thrive off of. Um, and I hope you're finding some good ways to get through it too. I've got some suggestions at the end of the pod that folks passed on. Uh, so stick around for that. And and maybe those will help you too. And hopefully this very honest conversation with Carrie Champion will help too. Former ESPN colleague who elected not to re-sign with the company last February. Now she's making her way in the sports world uh, a la carte doing sports and entertainment. She hosts the arena on TNT. She co-hosts 
Carrie and Jamel won't stick to sports on Vice TV and has a new podcast, Naked with Carrie Champion, available wherever you get podcasts. And it's an interesting conversation as a lot of people are pivoting to new gigs and looking around at what they've been doing and seeing it differently and maybe wanting a change. So we talked about her decision to leave and how she and Jamel stir stuff up on their new show, uh, how she bought a house mid-pandemic, um, her activism, the challenges of working for multiple outlets, a bunch of other stuff. I think you guys will like it. Felt a bit like a, a therapy session for both of us. Enjoy. That's what she said. So you all, of course, remember that Carrie Champion has been on the podcast before. We talked about all things in her life growing up, making her way to the tennis channel, making her way to ESPN, finding her way to the first take desk and everything that came after. But here we are a couple years later talking about a massive pivot point that happened to come before the rest of the world pivoted as well. And I want to start there. I mean, it has to be very clear, right? Or maybe I'm wrong, that if a month after you made the decision to leave ESPN, um, you knew a pandemic was hitting and everything was shutting down. Do you think you still would have made the decision not to, to sign a new deal? Absolutely not. And, 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 and by way of background, I signed a deal in October of 2019 uh, for another year. Um, but I signed the deal knowing, and there were some caveats put in it, but I signed the deal knowing that if I get another opportunity to do Titan Games or some other things that were coming my way, I would just leave and I would give enough notice. Um, we were all both on the same page that, yes, it's it's not working out because I, I, I'm not happy. And it, it was not a place where... I felt like I could commit a few acts of journalism anymore in the way in which I wanted to. But if I would have known a pandemic was coming, because you have to, like Sarah, like in perspective, we talk about this all the time because it's crazy. So uh, my last day was like maybe January 31st or something like that. I flew to Atlanta to film Titan Games for um, one season. I was filming it in February for the entire month and I was going to leave Atlanta and then come back to LA and work on some things with another network. The world shut down as we know in March. So several things happened. Um, I was like, wait, this is crazy. What's going on? All the things that I was working on either got hurried up or pushed away. So like mm -hmm. the Titan Games was supposed to air in 2021, but they were like, nope, this will be airing tomorrow because we have no programming because people can right. sit around and you know right. be with each other. Um, and then I was supposed to do the Olympics. And as mm. you all know, there was no Olympics. So at that And these point, were things you had lined up right after you knew your deal with the, you weren't going to re-up with the SPN, you were going to leave. And here's the things I've lined up to start doing right after I'm done and yeah. say goodbye. Yes. And so two things happened when the world shut down. I wasn't so much worried about work. I was panicked in the sense of like, is this a movie? I was just in terms of well-being of the world. And, and I got COVID. I got COVID and I didn't know I had it like many people. I got it in, I was in New York in March. I came back home that first, it was the first week of March and I came back home that Wednesday. By Thursday, I wasn't feeling well. Saturday, I couldn't taste or smell, but no one said that was a mm. symptom yet. That's how early on it was. And then our former colleague, Kaylee Hartung, I saw her on GMA saying, I actually have COVID. And quite frankly, one of my symptoms was I couldn't taste or smell. Then you hear all the doctors and the CDC yeah. saying, one of the symptoms is, and I was like, oh, I got it. But I didn't, by then I had to start feeling better. It was like a 48 hours of, you know, thank God. I know because it's so many people have died and I don't want to dismiss it, but it was 48 hours of, oh, I feel kind of lethargic and tired and sleepy and I can't taste or smell. Then my taste and smell start coming back. And I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I have it. 
But by then the world was in a panic and I wasn't even worried about work in that sense because you couldn't go outside when you did. People wore masks. I went walking with my best friend. She didn't want to be next to me. She made me walk ahead of her. It was just crazy. It was just, everyone was panicked as you all know. No one really knew what was going on. So fast forward between you and I, you know, it was um, the summer of social injustice, right? And and we were having what I call the racial renaissance where, you know, our world is, is coming back to, you know, being the America that we know that it was founded on. And I was so broken and hurt and sad. And like everyone was like, you know, anybody who has a heart and I remember just talking about it, but there was a hesitation to even post because I had been working at a place for so long that didn't allow you to be that free. Mm-hmm. And so I has I don't know why I hesitated, just because I had been trained. And then I just couldn't, I, you start, I started, I couldn't stop. And I just started like, whoever wanted, like, yes, I'm here. Let's talk about it. And then <laughs> I was on my walk, remember when you, and I get a call. This is how random the world is. Hey, do you want to do a TV show with your friend Jamel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you have do you have any do you have any um thing that you can show us where you guys do something together? Now, Sarah, it's called the art of planning. Mm-hmm. Back in July of 2019, before my even my contract was up and I was getting renewed, I went to Jamel's house with a bottle of wine and a camera crew and shot a pilot. I didn't know what it was going to be, but it was going to be us talking about controversial topics and people were going to yeah. be like what you know and for for her it's fine right because people have heard that with me you're just like wait i don't know the lady from sports center what do you mean what did she do da, 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 da. and we just wanted to again just really push the needle and have uncomfortable conversations which is where i very i thrive in personally and i wanted to make that world professionally but i wouldn't wait so watch. before we get to this phone call i want to ask you take me back to july so you're filming this pilot. Jamel is no longer with ESPN. Are you thinking to yourself, this is something I can do separately in addition to ESPN? Or is your mind already saying, Oh no, when I, this- oh, I have been, I've been in my, in my, I had been planning my departure, you know, if I'm being funny since I've been there, but within the, for the last two years, I had been planning my departure, but you know, but you still is. signed that deal. So what was it about that moment where you thought, I want to be safe a little bit longer. My agents, like if I'm being honest with you, they talked me out of, I was like, guys, I don't want to, I mean, we've had, we were back and forth. Like, I don't know, I love them, right? But we were back and forth. And you have to realize they're looking at the market. They're like, Carrie, on the outside looking in, you have the destination gig. People are like, why would she want to leave there? She's Monday through Friday. She's hosting Sports Center. What's going on? What happened? Like, it has to be some scandal. You know, <laughs> no one can understand it. They're like, what? And so well, especially age- back in the old days, leaving the mothership was a massive deal. And usually there was either a scandal or some, you know, and now it's it's becoming more common for people to say there, there are other opportunities or I'd rather do a la carte in a bunch of places than be beholden to one place. Um, but in their mind, for you at that point, they still thought best case is to, is to re-up. Yeah, no one... No one was leaving. No one was leaving. I don't remember. I've I've seen people leave maybe because they their contracts didn't get renewed or. Well, Jamel had outstanding circumstances. Like Kate Fagan is an example of oh, one yes, where yes, they yes. offered her yes. a multi year deal yes, and she said, yes. "No, this isn't what I want anymore. I'm not doing yes. the things I came here to do." She was um, the OG. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I forgot yeah. about Kate. Um, yes, actually, Kate inspired me. Now that you mentioned that, because when she was like, "Now I'm out of it," and I believed her. Some people yeah. say that and they don't and they don't mean it. And I believed her. 
and they and they spend the rest of their career trying to figure out how. And I believe that she was just like, this is this doesn't this right. doesn't suit me. So you um, felt so you filmed the pilot, but you weren't sure yet what I it would look what like if you do. were to work together. You just had it in your back pocket, and then your agents convinced you to stick around. But in your mind, you're sort of like, I'm already gone. I'm just waiting for the thing that pulls me away that allows me to clip it and say I can't do both. I'm choosing this other thing and the freedom of whatever else is out there. You have, so, and by the way, you have a, a beautiful way of summarizing, <laughs> a wonderful way with words. That's why you're so talented. <laughs> don't ever, ever take that for granted because you're just, yes, yes, that's exactly what it was. You, you're listening carefully. Yes, Sarah. Okay. So then who calls you? Because I would think it would be Jamel who would call you and be like, want to do a show together. Because that's Jamel's MO is let me get my friends yeah, together well, and put no. together projects so I never have to work with anyone but my friends. Yeah. That, <laughs> no, you know what was so funny? Um, I th- When we filmed this pilot, it, either it was going to be my show or it was going to be our show. But she was so consumed with all her different projects at the time outside of her podcast. Like she had a lot of stuff going on, which now I can relate. She was like, what's going to happen when you leave that place? You're going to have 30 jobs and it's going to be overwhelming and you're going to have to figure out to slow it down. Different bosses. Yeah. 1099s, right? yeah, different yeah. contracts. Different, yeah. It's not all, it's not it's all filtered just, through one a, thing. Yeah. So that's when you really become your own boss in the sense of you say yes to the products you want and you have to build an empire and you have to build a team that keeps you together because you can't. Um, and so I didn't know what it would look like. And then this is what happened. In my mind, I said, if, if the powers that be say I can't do Titan Games, I'm leaving. I had set that to myself because I had to leave for a month in film. Like not even a month. It was like three and a half weeks. And, and there was no way that there was a way, but would they allow me to film, you know, coast to coast and then do as the do Titan games. And I did, and I just, I already knew they were going to say, eh, you know, I just, I already felt it. So I had told my two agents, I said, if they say no, I'm not staying. And they were gulping and nervous and <laughs> why well, are you sure? I said, I'm dead ass. I was like, this is it. I was like, we've been having this conversation. We've been behind the scenes, working on opportunities. People have come to us, things I couldn't do. I had to say, you know, I don't know, can't do that. You know, and I'm like, that's pretty cool. I wish I could do that. And I said, this is it, you guys. And I had to get them on board. I was, I w- it was literally like, I was like, you guys ready? You know, <laughs> I was like, it's about to go down. It's about to go down. And they were like, Okay. You know, well, like, you said you didn't tell some family members you were leaving because no, in the moment no. you were like, this is a really big leap. I need only people who are going to be like, let's go, let's do this. This is a good, this is a good idea. It's all going to work out. Like yes. you needed a hype squad yes. and you were like, let me go ahead and tell anybody who's going to be concerned or offer up a dissenting opinion once I've pulled the plug so that there's no way they'll talk me out of it. Girl, and that's happened before. It's like when you, I don't know, let me think of something. When you want to marry somebody your friends don't like, you know, happens to, or when you, you want to um, buy something that your friends think you can't afford. I don't know. I'm just making yeah, you want to get bangs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then, or you want to do silver hair and you don't tell anybody, you just show up with silver hair. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you look like a superhero. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no one's business but my own. And I didn't <laughs> I couldn't tell them that, but you know, and then when I did it, I don't know if there were so many people who reached out who were so grateful, but then there were people who reached out to figure out what happened. And there was nothing that happened. Like, shit, I've been telling y'all if y'all been listening to me, I'm tired. And then so nothing happened. Me happened. My spirit said jump. And so and I, you didn't ask for something else within the company first, because I know you've said part of the reason that you wanted to leave was you weren't able to do the storytelling that you want. Commit acts of journalism. <laughs> now, is that solely based on the, the conflicts within ESPN itself of like wanting to talk about race and social justice and those issues and feeling like even if you were in a different role at the company, there still wouldn't be the freedom necessary to do what you wanted? Or was just, it that I didn't want to do Sports Center every day? I don't want to know about these stats and highlights and players and trades and injuries 
foods every day. What was, was it that you were missing? There was a time, Sarah, when and when I first when I moved to LA, when I first started doing coast to coast in LA, even when I first started doing coast to coast in Bristol for a minute, we were we were very content based. It was tell the stories, ask more than one question, have some fun, involve the viewer in who you are, which is right in my you know wheelhouse. We talked about social justice, what was going on with Colin Kaepernick. We were we were at the forefront of this conversation, um, and then obviously the regime changes, and then it's back to what you know we are bread and butter, what we're made. And on. you're talking the regime at ESPN, but also yeah. the regime of the country, right? It makes yeah. a huge difference who's in charge and what people are then making excuses for or pandering One. to. Thousand yeah. percent. When so Barack both Obama, of those happen around the same time. Yeah, Barack Obama leaves office, Skipper leaves. Um, you know, Donald Trump's in office, and then all of this. Okay, I'm proud to be an American, and whatever form that means for you, which comes with restraints for those who are marginalized. And so I was like, I, you could feel it, and there was a scariness. There was this, you know, I would bring up subjects in the story Monday morning, Monday morning meeting, and it'd be like quiet. It'd be met with silence, and I just feel like. And it was exhausting. You have to understand doing something five days a week that you don't love anymore is no longer what you want to do. It wasn't that I didn't love Sports Center, and God knows I love David Lloyd. He can do no wrong. I, I miss him to this day. We still talk, we still text. He's Christmas cards. I love that man. He is, he, when I talk about having my back, like he had my back, my front, my sides. Let's say something bad about me. Try to take, do something. He's like, nope, sorry, don't think so. Sweetest woman I know. You know what I mean? And that is truly, I am an acquired taste. So I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he, so when it was, it was, it was time to go because I was stagnant. I was stuck. Um, I don't know how to describe the feeling for everyone to understand it, but it, I was, it was no movement. You know what right. I mean? Um, well, and, and I think also you can get moved continually into places that are, uh, st you know, meant to be better status wise, but they aren't necessarily a fit for what you are moved by. So like when Kate was on the podcast, she said, I wanted to be a writer yep. and I liked the idea of doing around the horn and outside the lines to all these shows that people watched and thought were great and people recognized me and I made money, but I wanted to write stories. And instead I had to know every single thing that happened every day in the sports calendar, which is exhausting and it never lets up. Never. And that's what sports center is, is needing mm -hmm. to know every player, every play, every score. Um, and so if you were there to tell stories or to interact or to have fun or all that stuff, most of your time is spent just keeping up. It's keeping up not only with the sports stories, it's keeping up with the political climate behind the scenes. I think that exhausted me more. I th I'm pretty good at digesting what's going on because, you know, you've been doing this for years. We usually keep a good idea of what's going on. And if we don't know something, we catch up real quick. We're like, oh, that happened? What? We're always on our phone. We're figuring it out. We know players. We have connections. We're reading. We're constantly on our beat. Sports is our beat as a journalist. And we usually have a good idea of the major moves that are happening. And if we don't, we can do our homework quick enough to understand and digest. What the political climate was for me behind the scenes was exhausting because it was always met with no matter what I did, or it felt like, and this may be an exaggeration, but no matter what I did or whatever I, whatever work I tried to do or whatever progress I would try to make, it felt like I was constantly being told I didn't do it right or something was wrong. And that's exhausting without encouragement. Working in any, in any, in any space in the world is exhausting to work in without encouragement. I don't care where you work. I don't care if you work at McDonald's. I don't care if you are a janitor. I don't care if you are a contractor and you're working on a house for somebody. If they don't tell you they like something of the work that you've done ever, then <laughs> you're going to feel some type of way. And it got yeah. to that point for me. It could be just totally my feeling and, and how sensitive I was at the time. But what, what happens is, Sarah, 
enough was enough. It was time. I was, I was tired. I mean, I just, I, I didn't have any more joy and I don't thrive in misery. Men do. Men love men. I, in any circumstance. I, if a man is listening right now, he could. Men hate their jobs, and they just be like, "Nope, going to work every day. Love you, <laughs> you know, bad relationships, marriages, you name it. I'm thriving. You know, I, I can't thrive in misery. My spirit doesn't work that way. I'm a very free spirit anyway. So I make this jump. But you're right. I would have been in misery for another year or however long if the, if I would have known the world was shutting down. I wouldn't have left. Who's walking away from a high paying job that's stable that you get a paycheck every two weeks? while the, it's a pandemic and the world is shutting down and you just watch all your, like you look at your investments, like you're looking at right. your phone can, it's like, duh, 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 you know, yeah. dropping down. You're like, ah, what's going on? We'll get right back to the interview. But first, I'd like a word. What is your favorite word? So when I want to point out whether a friend is doing something where I feel like I'm being wrong, you know, playfully or not playfully, or, you know, the guy I'm dating, if I feel like he's doing something wrong, playfully or not playfully, I'm like, I think it's funny how, (laughs) I just think it's funny how, and it's not really funny, it's me being like, you, you know, (laughs) very passive aggressive. Maybe your word is passive aggressive. Yeah, that is my word. That is my word. Yeah, let's go with passive aggressive there. Um, So this is behavior or a personality characterized by indirect resistance, but avoidance of direct confrontation. Actually, a pretty recent phrase believed to date back to just 1971, according to edamonline.com. But uh, people have been, you know, giving backhanded compliments and showing up late to parties to prove a point and giving loved ones a silent treatment and other classic passive aggressive moves for far longer than that. But it's a it's a it's a oft used phrase, not super well understood. Some of the some of the research I did said that most people when they think they're using passive aggressive correctly, they're not. So maybe do a little research on your own, see if you've been using it right. Speaking of great words, you gonna learn today. The word of the week is absquatulate. To run away or make off, to skedaddle. It's from about 1840, a mock Latin word said to have been used in the play The Kentuckian by a bragging, comical American character named Nimrod Wildfire. And yes, that is part of the reason I selected this word, because Nimrod Wildfire is just a great name. And I just love the sound of it, absquatulate. It also sounds like something someone might do passive aggressively, sort of leaving in a huff without letting you know the Irish goodbye. Uh, So in a sentence... I couldn't find Susan at the party, and I realized she'd absquatulated without saying goodbye. A clear response to the fact her crush, Tom, spent the night flirting with me. Absquatulate. I love it. Now let's get back to the interview. You did it, and, and, and thankfully, because it's obviously been a great success, and you've got your hands in a number of different pots now doing a lot of things. You did it, and you talk about the decision to do it as, you know, do it scared that you like to embrace the unknown and and the challenges and and the fear, which for a lot of people, I think that lack of safety net is the thing that prevents them from really leaping and and, and seeing what's out there. And I, I heard you on um, on with Dan Levitard talking about how you you walked out and you weren't sure, and then all of a sudden you're like, mm, I'm fine. Everybody <laughs> like because when you're at ESPN, people know you're busy and you don't have the opportunity to do a bunch of other stuff. And then you walk out and all of a sudden it's like you got out of a marriage. Yeah. And everyone and you're like, oh, here's all the dudes that were feeling me. Yeah. That that, that couldn't say anything when I was married, but now they're showing up at your door. Mm-hmm. Um 
So how do you then decide? Because it's much easier when you have one main employer and then you have to find little things that you're able to fit in on the side Mm -hmm. versus your day is up to you, your month, your year, which Mm -hmm. can be freeing and wonderful and sounds amazing, Mm -hmm, but but could also be very stressful because the relaxing time isn't like I'm relaxing and I know I still get this paycheck and this salary and I go back to work. It's I'm relaxing and now what's next and where's the next job and the next whatever coming from. Here's, and that's great. That's a great question. Here's my advice, right? Because they, because all you can see on the outside is the thriving part of it. So I'm right, exactly. You're just looking at all those jobs and you're like, "Uh, what about the ones that didn't get? Yeah. Or, (laughs) or the work schedule or the different people you have to adjust to now, as opposed to one person who you know who their reality is. And then you walk into a new situation and you got to learn everybody. Um, for me, I used to say this to Jamel and Michael. I said, y'all walked away and y'all said no millions. I was like, I don't have millions. I was like, I got some money, but I don't have that. And so the first thing for me was I planned a safety net. I always, in the back of my head, I realized, look, I may not, I'll leave and say if I fall flat on my face, which I won't, but if I did, I can always come back somewhere in this environment and do this, what I did before, if I wanted to be safe. Um, so I had a safety net. I saved and saved and saved, right? I planned. Um, that's me. Again, some people don't have the luxury to plan or save or have money to do it, but I did have a plan nonetheless. And then I thought, okay, here are the three things that I have locked. Cause I had three things locked in. Remember I was telling you there's the Olympics, it was Titan games and it was one more project I forgot I was working on, but I was like, oh, that's, I mean, that's enough. I'm money wise. I'm good. Like I was like, okay, great. Now, now, now. When I start getting all of these opportunities and all these boys are like, do you want to go out on a date? You're like, wait a second, wait, what? Should I do this? Because then you don't want to start saying yes to everything, which is unfamiliar to people Mm -hmm. who have been told no. (laughs) So I've been told I could not, I could not. And then I start getting all these opportunities and I'm all like, wait, wait, I'm going to say yes to all of them, but it's impossible. My day is completely booked. So what I did was I sat with my with two people, my business manager and my agent, and I said, which could be for anybody, I want to make it plain. It could be your best friend who's really smart and then somebody who is your agent or somebody who's helping you book your gigs. And I said, these are the things that I want to do. This is where I love. This is where I love to be. This is where I thrive. What do I need in terms of you know finances for the next year? To, what does this look like at bare minimum? And then I said to my agent, I was like, this is what I want to present. You know a whole nother side of me, but people outside looking in who who don't really know me, don't know my personality, don't understand that I have views, don't don't know that I was a local reporter for ten years before I even came to ESPN. They right. me from first take. I just popped on the scene, and that's all I've ever done. So right. for, at first it was you couldn't do sports. Now it is all you can do is sports. So we were very clear about the type of gigs we were going to take that allowed me not to just ask questions, but to have an opinion. And, and not only have an opinion, but an opinion that allows me to be informed and not just to be talking. And, you know, and that's, and that's scary in itself. So what I did was I just was like that once they, the gig, you asked us about the gig, I got a, a former ESPNer. You want to hear some crazy? It's all ESPNers because everyone yeah. is former ESPNer. A former ESPNer became an agent. Her name is Sharita. Shout out to Sharita Johnson. I and remember Sharita. Yeah. You remember Sharita? Yeah. And she had a good friend who worked at Vice who was in charge of development at the time. And she goes, hey, would you be interested? She calls me Sharita. Would you be interested yeah. in doing a show? You know, you and Jamal, I think it might be fun. And then mm-hmm. I was like, 
I'm just walking around like I'm walking around. I remember the marina trying to get some exercise in her. I'm like, what are you talking about? She was like, you remember that that reel you sent me? I forwarded over to, to that. And they're really interested. What do you think? Now, don't get <laughs> she, her words exactly. Don't be scared because once you start talking, it's going to go quickly. And she wasn't lying. Yeah. When I say from March, we start talking, contract done by April, on the air by, I guess, September. I don't remember the particulars, but it was quick. Bam, 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 bam. And we were like, whoa, this was easy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's how it is for everybody too. Yeah. So everybody will be really everybody yeah. will be really glad to hear that, Carrie. That it's just that way, easy. It is not that easy, but this is what I thought, Sarah, and you can relate to this. How long have we paid dues? How long have we been been silenced and 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 pushed down and marginalized my entire career? <clears throat> Very few times have I've had the freedom to have the leverage. Very few times in my career. And it was it was as if the world was saying, guess what? You you both deserve it. Shit's been hard. So why not now? You know, <laughs> shit has right. been hard. Excuse my French. So why not now? And that's how I looked at it. It wasn't that, is we know it's not that easy because we're right now we're in the process, as I say this to you, of doing a season two and we're trying to do it differently. And we're still, now we're negotiating every everything down to the, the penny and to the color and to do we go outside or do we stay inside? So right. it's, it hasn't been easy, but the, it was time. The world was working in our favor. And and right then, sadly, you got George Floyd, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey. But our show was way before this all happened. But it right. was happening while we were doing the show. And we were like, this is crazy. So much to discuss. And there it needs to be a place where people that um, are used to being pushed aside have an opinion, women specifically, about what's going on in our world and be an authority and talk for those like, Everyone is not going to get the same thing. I don't want to turn on CNN and get the same thing or MSNBC or whatever the case may be. And that was the goal when we went in to give this this intersection of sports and politics unapologetically with our silliness and our and our rawness and, and who we are. That things that I, I know I could never express, um, not even on social media. And then it was great. And then after that. So then, Sarah, I'm we're, we're working on putting this together and behind the scenes. Then I have been trying between. You and I had to work in different spots. You know how, how we do. Yeah. We're meeting privately. It's real like booty call-ish when we have our <laughs> meetings. And I was having what I call my professional booty call meetings, trying to find out other places to work while working at ESPN. And one of the places that I had been meeting with, this on the low, was TNT. And nothing was available, as you know. Then, as a result of what was happening in the summer, they're like, you know, we've been able to fashion a few hours, and we're just going to try this. We're going to do... Something that's we've never been done before, but we're going to call it the arena and we want to give athletes a platform to talk about social justice because they need it and they're upset. And we're going to just, it's a trial. We don't know if it'll work. We're going to do five nights a week. We're going to do five nights a week, Monday through Friday. It's going to be you, Chuck, D-Way, Draymond Green. And I was like, keep going. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> keep going. This sounds like everything is too good to be true. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, God heard my prayers. Like I literally, cause my heart, honestly, Sarah, wasn't about being famous. It was about committing a few acts of journalism and talking about something that was so near and dear to my heart. That was breaking my heart, breaking my heart. Like I was, I was sad just like you were. I know you were, we we're just sad. It was just a dilemma. Still, Still, right? It's just, and look, and, and you wanna know why I have a, a dilemma? <laughs> this is why I have a dilemma as we talked about earlier. So yeah. I, it's hard to face it right now. Like it's uh and it pops up everywhere. And if you have if you have empathy and if you care about change, it feels pretty helpless right now to just yeah. keep going through the cycle. 
And if you have a heart, like you said, empathy, if you're just, if you open your eyes, but this is why the world to me, 2020 was demanding that we be better in every aspect of our lives. None of it was a coincidence. The world shut down. Everyone had to pay attention to the injustice. Everyone could not look away. Everyone couldn't dismiss it because their day was busy and they had to go to work or pick up the kids and do this and do that. You have nothing to do but watch this right now because this is America. Um, and and then I and then what I learned to do. Well, back to your original question with all the different opportunities that were coming my way. Um, I compartmentalized so much better. Um, and then I learned to say no to things that didn't really serve me. I was like, that doesn't serve me and I don't want to be rude about it, but I don't, I do love the hop in and hop out. Like I was hosting the sports illustrated awards. I was like, that's, that's my wheelhouse. I love that. Yes. This is great. You know, sports is my platform, but I want to do more. I want to talk about the marginalized. I want to talk to these athletes. I want to talk about having an opinion in a world that doesn't respect women's opinions, right? Um, I don't want to, and I, I'm very careful. I don't know, you mentioned Dan Levertard. I'm very careful in being specific and naming. I don't want to seem like I'm bashing because I do realize I have this platform because of ESPN. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what happens is you grow out. You grow up and you grow out. Everyone, this could be your, your destination. Well, your and it depends on who you are, too. I think there are people that are happy to be there for 50 years. And that's great. David Lloyd, that's it. my host, that's, yeah. loves it. That's, that's where it. they want to be, and that's what they want to do. And then there are people who I think want something else, but they're so afraid, for good reason. Because leaving the top dog is scary. Because going out and doing a la carte, like I said before, for particularly anxious people or or pe people who are risk averse, you said you like stepping out in fear and and, and not being sure, but p p risk averse people, the idea of those spaces in between jobs would not be enjoyed. <laughs> they would not be like, oh, look, two weeks off. This is what I always wanted when I was at ESPN. It would be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I think it's great though to hear from people who feel differently because the people who are in hog heaven doing what they always loved forever, that's awesome. But that's then great. the people who want to move on or evolve and change and become something else, it's great to hear that perspective too because I think a lot of people feel trapped whether it's, I have a friend who left a job um, after 20 years. She worked at the same company wow. for 20 years and thought she'd be able to get another job about seven or eight months later. She would take that seven or eight months to do what she wanted. And then she didn't get the job. And then it was pandemic. And so it took her almost two years. And that was really scary. Mm -hmm. But but it was the right move still, even after all that, um, even if the leap didn't look the way she thought it was going to. And I think it's you have to hear about those examples, whether they go perfectly or not. Otherwise, people won't ever do it. I think, quite frankly, that everyone knows when it's time to leave, whether you continue to listen to that voice Leave anything, leave a relationship, leave job, leave friends, leave things behind. Is it letting go or is it getting more? You know what I mean? That's You have to make these decisions all the time in life. It's whether you listen to that voice. Sarah, I ignored that voice for a very long time. I, it was in my spirit, but I, and then, and then what happens is for me, people like me, it will manifest in different ways. My frustration manifests in different ways. And so I didn't want to continue to be frustrated because I wasn't making choices to make my life better.
when I know that I and you could. take it out on other people. Exactly. Right. Also mad people, mad, got an attitude, don't talk, whatever, you know, and I'm all like, I'm just mad because that, because you never know what anyone's going through. So I see it so differently now. Like if I'm interacting with someone and they're, and they're mean, I'm like, oh, okay, they're, they're unhappy somewhere else. That has nothing to do with me. <laughs> got it. Got it. Right. You know what I mean? I think, and if you listen to that voice long enough, you'll make the decision if that's what you want to do. I would never tell anybody to leave. But I, what I would say in some aspect of your life, whether it be professionally or personally, do it scared because the reward is so much greater than the risk. It just is because it's such a lesson. You learn, you evolve. I feel, especially for women, we are, we are safety, 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 safety. We don't manage our money like men manage their money. We don't take, we don't make risky moves with investments. Mm -hmm. We, um, we sit around and tell somebody, wait for us, wait for someone to say to us, this is what you should be doing with your money as opposed to looking for deals and investing. What happened to me was once I knocked down that first domino, everything else started to fall down and I'm like, well, let's try it. Well, why not? Sarah, I, and I shared this, I bought a house in the pandemic. Why didn't, why do I wait to buy a house in the pandemic? What, <laughs> Maybe what? you got a good deal. You never, it depends on the area you're in. <laughs> no, sir, I would, especially in California, that's where I live in California. I'm like, oh yes. I was telling, I remember telling my real estate agent at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, let's buy a house. I'll probably get some good deals. There'll be a lot of foreclosures. Da, da, da. And she was like, okay, honey, whatever you think. The market has not slowed down. Right. But now here's what happened. Because I didn't have a W-2 gig and I was a 1099 employee, they were like, can you put 35% down? I'm like, yeah. hell no. I'm not putting 35% down on a house, you know? Yeah. And I was like, what happened to these deals all my friends got where they put 5% down <laughs> and they got a big ass house. Yeah. I was like, the 5% deals are gone. They yeah. were like, so by the grace of God, I bought a house that was- Congrats. Thank you. But I, 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 the budget I went in with was ridiculous. And then I was way over my quote unquote budget, but it happened. Like everything, and I was like, "Well, why not?" I just remember thinking to myself, "Carrie, you're a fool. You, you. By the way, you had a full time job, you made great money, and you could have bought a house and only put twenty percent down two years ago. But you just wait till the whole world shuts mm -hmm. down and add more pressure to your plate." And I was just like, <laughs> "I thrive that way." <laughs> I love it. I love to see it. I love seeing you and Jamel and Kate and Michael and and everybody, Dan, everybody. You know, find what's right for them and, and make good on it. And um. You know, it sounds like the new podcast, Naked with Carrie Ch Champion, is very yeah. similar to Be Honest with yes. Carrie Champion. Yes. Yes. This is your this is your go-to. This is like, let's yeah. strip it down and get past the surface level stuff and get to the uncomfortable stuff, get to the tough stuff. Yeah. Um, that's very, it's very, uh, it, it, it makes sense to me because I'm someone who loves to just be nosy and have yeah. people on my podcast <laughs> basically ask them all the shit I want to know about them under the guise of a professional job of asking questions. <laughs> Um, but why do you think you're, you're drawn to that? What, what is it about that? Cause that's, this is now your second podcast with that sort of focus. Well, I would have, I would have kept be honest, but I didn't own it. And, uh, right. ESPN did. And then I wanted to do a podcast that I owned. That was the first thing I wanted to own the name. I wanted to own the IP. I wanted to, if I, if I ultimately turn this into a TV show, I wanted to own every last bit of it. I wanted to business wise, you have to, Sarah, I'm a whole ass businesswoman now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a whole businesswoman. I want to, uh, every commercial I do, y'all listen, cause I'm getting paid. Like you better listen up cause I'm getting paid. And so I'm very much into the, the aspect of, of talking to people about what makes them who they are, how they tick, because I am fascinated with my inability to be open, but I'm on, I'm on camera and I'm a personality. My inability to share my personal life or my insecurities or my fears, even though someone now would say, no, that's not true, Carrie, you just said you, you did it scared. Um, that, that took a long time for me to come to that realization and then share it. 
Um, I, I, I like, for instance, here's an example. Steven Jackson was the first rollout of Be Naked. And he, I, I was fascinated at how he went from an athlete to um, a TV analyst to an activist. Like we watched it all happen, you know what I mean? So quickly. And I was just like, oh, and like analyst slash podcaster, right? Because he has this hit podcast. And it just happened so quickly. And I said, w- w- you had to be afraid of the moment when I see you popping up on CNN and everyone wanting to talk to you and you're marching with George Floyd's family. And like, kid, you were t- you used to rap about, you know, this, that, and the third not too long ago. He was like, but we're all allowed to evolve and be different and, and to grow. And and he talked about why he was so misunderstood and how he never felt appreciated in the NBA. And this is the first time in his life where he's really feeling like people can see who he is and how confused he has been and where he comes from and why he is at this level right now. And he said, I've always been loyal, but my loyalty has been misunderstood as anger, as a troublemaker, malice in the palace. Um, you know, but he he's very quick to defend his friends because he lost his older brother. His older brother was murdered while he was around the corner at a club hanging out with somebody. And his older brother was trying to get to him for help and, and Stephen couldn't help him. And he said, if I ever, ever find myself in a position where I can't take care of somebody that I love, that I, who, who, who takes care of me, I will, like, it, it was so hard for him to adjust to not having his brother around, knowing he could have stopped, what, or at least he yeah. thinks he could have stopped. What right. So I, and here's the question I asked myself at the end of that podcast. Am I that loyal of a friend? Am I that loyal of a person? I think I am, right? But you talk to someone like this and, and you hear the commitment and you're like, no, I, I probably would do some bullshit. Like you push come to shove, I might choose me over someone else depending on who it is. I don't know if I have that in me. And so I was like, this is great. Let me just start checking myself and checking who I am. Did another podcast with a guy, Anthony Hamilton, who's a singer, and he started talking about love. And he was like, he's most vulnerable when he's naked, like making love. Duh, makes sense. Right. I'm not. I was like, I hate hearing those words, making love. Now, why is that? <laughs> <laughs> why is that? And you're like, if you're like, you want to bang? I'm like, ain't. Yeah, exactly, right? Break it down. But making love makes me feel awkward. It makes me feel seen. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel vulnerable. I'm running from all of that and I have to ask myself why. So these are the reasons why I ask these questions because it's fascinating because then I turn around and ask myself that in the podcast right. in the beginning and the end. It's like um, Brene Brown uh, some, on some of her podcasts, she talks about how interviews end up just being like, you need to get this information for yourself. Like oh. you pretend like you're asking all these questions for other people, mm. but you're really like, no, this mm. is a therapy session for me. And I need you to answer these things to help me figure my own shit out. Um, well, I remember when you were on the podcast the first time, you dabbled in talking about your relationship with your dad mm-hmm. and growing up um, and some of the struggles your your, your family had. Um, but you were pretty reticent to dive into it. It oh. did feel like definitely a wall. And mm-hmm. there's a, here's who I am when we talk about these things. And here's who I am when we talk about stuff I'm comfortable with. One percent. <laughs> Is this therapy? Go ahead, Sarah. It is. I think it is. Um, But is it making you want to be more open about that stuff? Because especially, I think, if you... One of the interesting things about separating yourself from a monolith like ESPN is that you can choose to be the different versions of yourself or or aspects of yourself in the different jobs that you do in in a way that's still very authentic, right? Who you are, the Titan Mm -hmm. Games is different than your show with Jamel is different than your podcast is different than hosting uh, an entertainment thing. 
but it also allows you to let people see the whole of you in a much more transparent way mm -hmm. than something like a sports center does that's mm -hmm. very set up and structured. Um, but you have to decide whether you're the kind of person that has a an affectation or a presentation <laughs> everywhere you go, or whether you just say, okay, f it's gonna be really hard to remember that every different place I go <laughs> in a totally different way than it's easy to do when you're sitting at the desk at sports center. This is who I am. This is my anchor person. Mm -hmm. Now it's okay. Who's Carrie. Okay. I was just Carrie at the podcast. Mm -hmm. So you might just say, I'm letting it all down. I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to be more authentic and honest about all the things that made me who I am and brought me here. Mm -hmm. But that's a big pivot for someone. If you were not comfortable with that ever before. Oh no, it's it's scary, but do is scared. I told you once I knocked that one domino down, everything else was like, all right, just embrace it. Brene Brown, speaking of, said something to me, but to all of us, it was in something I was listening of hers and she said, <laughs> She's a you know. champion. She's you're a listening. Champion, I'm listening. Yeah. But she, you know this, because if you're a fan of hers, you know, she said, our secrets have power. And the more that we keep our secrets hidden in closets, they hold us back. They hold us back from being our full selves. Um, and I, that always stood with me because I still have secrets that obviously I'm not ready to reveal. Everyone does. But once I start opening the door and dusting off my secrets and sharing them with the world, I am more and more empowered and more comfortable mm -hmm. in my own skin. And I don't ever have to be anything. I think, any, you know, uh, Jamel calls me a porcupine. She's like, Carrie's a bit of a porcupine. <laughs> and that's truly just who I am. I am sweet as pie, but you got to get through all the prickly shit first, right? You got to get in there because I have such a defense up. I have such a, because of everything that I've been through. And and I'm not going to let the world make me as bitter as I used to be. <laughs> but everything that I've been through, personally and professionally, I'm like, I, I don't know, I don't trust it. Like That's my first go-to. That's my that's my comfort zone is not to trust, which is why I continue to push myself into this arena of making sure that I can talk about things very honestly and freely, especially if I'm asking that of people. Yeah. So when we are doing, you know, one well, six to sports, six to sports, there, you know, this is a whole new me. And and I'm like, okay, this is who I am, but I'm sharing it with the world and I don't know how they're gonna receive it. Some like it, some don't, and that's okay because it's who I am. I don't have to get in front of the camera and remember, there's a natural professionalism that you and I both have when right. we're on camera. Like that's just, that's professionalism. Like if I'm hosting the arena and I'm reading from a prompter, yes. But there there will be the, cause it's a different format of a show. So there will be these moments, like we had Cory Booker on and he's talking about, he's working on reparations. I was like, okay, so when are we gonna get our money? And then he just double back and not answer the question. <laughs> I said, so we ain't gonna get our money. You yeah. know what I mean? Like don't come on this show talking reparations and you know I'm gonna be black and be like, where is the money? <laughs> I'm a contractor now. I started right, clapping. right. <laughs> I got a 1099. Who do I send it to? And right. then so my W9 needs to go somewhere. So anyway. Well, I want to ask about that too because it's interesting. I found I found it very interesting to listen to Dan in the first few shows right after they left. Whole new day. And how he was trying to feel out who he is without any rule over him. Because right now they technically work for their own company, but there's nobody like a Spotify or another outlet that has any guidelines whatsoever. Yep. So first for you, you now have guidelines at wherever job you're currently working. Mm -hmm. And Vice might be different than TNT, might mm -hmm. be different than the Titan Games, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to keep that in mind and what brand you represent in mm -hmm. your free time even. Mm -hmm. But there was there's a freedom there that I think you wanted because of ESPN's decisions based on what kind of content felt right for the company and what felt outside of our purview. Mm -hmm. 
it was it as freeing as you thought it would be or is there actually some difficulty when there are no restrictions and no bosses and no people mm-hmm. to then say, where are my limits? Yeah. Somebody used to tell yeah. me where they are. Now yeah. I have to figure out, am yeah. I someone who says yeah. X or Y and the repercussions of me saying X or Y yeah. and who's coming after me for that? Oh, absolutely. There is uh, the, 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 okay. So we take the vice show. I remember our first conversation with um, the powers that be, they were like, you can only curse 10 times a day. <laughs> Pick, then they pick, said, pick your curses. <laughs> yeah. And then they said, you guys can drink on set, but if, if anybody gets drunk, we have to send you home in a car service. You know, we just have to. Jamel and I were looking at each other like, what? what? <laughs> yeah. Pinch me. Is this happening? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, no, legit, 6 a.m. drinking wine. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, and I that sounds wonderful to me, but then you also see people who get into those spaces and it doesn't serve them to have no restrictions because they are not someone who is capable of presenting the best content. If they do start drinking, let me right? Like 1000%. You were correct about that. I have had two moments where I'm like, Oh no, let me have some water. Cause I'm slowing down and I'm losing energy. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm drunk. I'm just losing my energy. Yeah. The second thing is, is that when you don't have any restrictions and they do want you to go there and they do, cause they felt like Jamel and I were really tame, which I think is funny. And then, but when they do want you to go there and this is, this is true for whether you do it on, Twitter, social media, or whether you do it on a TV show, whatever you say, you are held accountable. Like mm-hmm. you have to be okay with falling on the sword. And there were two things where I, one, we had, were joking about a, a woman, I don't even know her name. I don't even know. I honestly don't know her name. This is so awful, but it was a black woman and she was with the Republican party. And she was, I mean, we used to do these clips where these people were just, we just like, get the hell out of here. But in the, you know, it was a segment called the latest in America's bullshit. And literally <laughs> this woman was ridiculous. And it was, she was apologizing for blacks misbehaving and she looked crazy mm. speaking and then looked crazy physically. And we commented mm. on her physical looks. And I remember a few of her fans, cause she had a small following, um, call sit, jumped in my DMS and Jamel's DMS and said, that's not nice. Why are you talking about her hair or something? And I, and for me, it wasn't for Jay. That wasn't Jay's calling. But for me, I felt bad. I said, you know what? Yeah. Why go there? It's like, if I don't like her content, so be it, but focus on the content. I don't have to say anything about her personal looks because that is unfair. And it's, it's out of line. It's not. So there you go with the restrictions. And so you start to learn and you figure out your own. Yeah. And I've learned, I've learned, trust me. And I'm like, okay, do I want to really go there? Like for, is it worth that joke? You know? No, it's yeah, not. Yeah. Like the thing that happened with Jake Paul was interesting, right? Because yeah, it but felt like, it. but that feels like the internet deciding to spin something out of context without yes. knowing and you, any of the people Jake, providing the content. Exactly. And the Jake Paul thing that happened like two weeks before and somebody was mad at Jamel. And so they decided to go hard in the paint on both right. of us because it happened. You know, she, she can't say dust is blue without anything. everybody. She can't right. say anything. And right. so as a result, I just got some, some, some pushback from that as well, which is fine, which is fine. And this, for those who didn't see it, Jake Paul knocked out Nate Robinson and Jamel asked if it was racist. <laughs> <laughs> right. Did I get that right? Yeah. But yeah. isn't that funny? It's supposed yeah. to be funny. But like, yeah. the problem is, is that the way we are now, if you don't like somebody whatever they've said, you can spin it into them being a terrible person. And it clearly wasn't a joke. And she really thinks that Jake should pay Nate Robinson reparations. And I'm like, come on guys, you know, she has a sense of humor. Anybody knows she's right. ridiculously funny. She has a sense of yeah. humor about everything. But then this is what I thought was funny. What I did say 
what we did discuss after that because we was trending. I was like, they own my ass, Jay. I said, like, <laughs> what? I was like, these death threats. How do you deal with these death threats, mm-hmm. my friend? So she said, and I'm making that. By the way, I'm making a light of people threatening to kill me. See, I, I have a sense of humor. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, it's hilarious. That mm-hmm. it, and I was like, the the selective outrage in America is is deafening. I said because as angry as these folks are at us. Were they upset that Breonna Taylor was murdered inside of her home? Or were they upset that Ahmaud Aubrey was hunted down in the middle of the day, running away, not towards anyone, running away from two, two rogue people who had guns and was shot and killed? Were they upset that a police officer sat on someone's neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds? I was like, tell me where your anger is. Like yeah. this world that we live in, when we decide to have selective outrage, it is disgusting. And privilege is a disgusting disease because all, if you find one thing that makes your case, and which is why I said I realize you can't argue with people because their minds are made up. Whoever believe, and when when we were talking about the Capitol, I mean, we had a field day talking about the Capitol. I was like, "Girl, they're your cousin." I see him in the Capitol. Like we were just <laughs> people were like, "That's disgusting." You would say that these are these are civilians. Now, what do you think if those civilians were black? Now, what would have happened? Everyone knows what what would have happened if they were black. Well, and, and and I think what's so hard about it is there's this deep depression that there are people that exist that are that lost, right? That their anger is no. more about what you would say on TV than about someone's life being taken. There's so also the inability to distinguish between real people who are engaging in that way, and that's their true feelings, and then people who are literally either paid or choose to engage this way just to stir things up because they 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 understand that chaos serves a certain master. And once I've read enough stories about some random lawyer in New York who has four accounts for yeah. different kinds of people, yeah. and when he's bored, he goes and spends hours just riling yeah. people yeah. up mm-hmm. f- for no other reason uh-huh. than it serves the people that he thinks should be in power when yep. Everything is chaos yes. when people are afraid of everything. Fear mongering of the other is a platform at this point to get elected certain kinds of people. Once you combine those two, either deep depression that someone <laughs> is that morally lost yeah. or frustration with, I don't even know if the person I'm arguing with actually thinks that, or if they're saying the thing that will most anger me just to keep us fighting because. They want to see the world burn because then the people that they want in power will take over on a platform of, let me clean up everything you're afraid of. Immigrants, black people, transgender people, uh, right. whatever. Right. And so at that point, you're like, this is pointless. I'm going to step away from any of these engagements. Yeah. And the addiction is so real and the and the communication is so real to social media that you have to send yourself a constant reminder that nothing gets solved there. Nothing. And the work, the activism has to be done in very meaningful ways. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just wasting your time and sapping your will to live. <laughs> literally. Like literally, literally your ability to not think the world is awful in every way. It, you have to step away, but then you don't want to give up on the things that really matter. You just have to be reminding yourself that that's not where they get fixed. Sarah, that's our constant dance. As, as, as the protect, as, and I'm including you in this, as the protectors of this beautiful country and the protectors of the universe and of what's right and, and the sense of moral obligation that we have, we have to dance and say, okay, these people are crazy and effed up, but I got to remember why I'm here. The world sucks, but I have to remember why I'm here. These people are, are really 
changing some things and making it that Carrie did this and Carrie did that. And, you know, anyone who called me, I was like, I can't believe you did that. You're not a friend of mine. No one really knows me. If someone even right. called me and said, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, bye. Okay. This is why I'm, this, then I go back to this is why I don't talk to nobody. You see why I'm porcupine-ish with everyone. <laughs> so I, I literally, it hurt my feelings that people really don't care about the plight of the marginalized. It really does hurt me to see that, you know, thank God I love Michael Strahan. When he interviewed the officer who was who shot and killed Brianna or was one of the officers, and he really was like, and we don't know if George Floyd died from that. I mean, from my understanding, mm. he overdosed. And I was like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, it makes you so sad because what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Here's the thing. Here's what's happening. If you and I and people like us don't continue to be loud about what's happening in the way in which we can be loud and affect change in the way in which we can affect change, that's everyone's personal choice, how they go about it. If we don't continue to do it relentlessly um, in every way that we can, it will go away and we will get comfortable again. Right. And I won't allow that to happen, not on my watch. So if I'm considered someone who is a problem and not even really a problem child, just someone who is annoying or she will go there and she talks the talk. Cause I, you have to realize when my agent is getting people to book gigs, people will be like, so, I mean, what are you going to say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm all like, yeah. what I, what I feel like it, like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not here. Yeah. I'm not here to play this game with you. Are yeah, we it's a choice you have to make. And, yeah. it's, and it's a choice to say, this is much more meaningful to me. If I miss a few gigs for this, or I it's lose fine. a few fans for this. I care it's much fine. more about, yeah. And, and, and you're right because what, what needs to be reminded and is so difficult all the time is it is as much of an agenda to not say anything Absolutely. as it is to say something. Absolutely. You just then are okay with the status quo because it is either serving and protecting you or building up your wealth or mm-hmm. because you don't have enough care for the people who are hurt by the current status quo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we always will paint the people who speak out as the problem child, like you said, or the one who's difficult, because it's uncomfortable to disrupt the status quo. But people have to be reminded that they're choosing to side with the status quo and the way things have always been by doing nothing. And that's as much of a choice as speaking out. It just is it's harder to to, to represent that to people because they want to feel safe in their bubble in their of world. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I love the ball. That's why. I yeah, it is. And some people aren't built for that. And that's, um, and that's unfortunate. It's, and that's it's, it. I don't know if it's fine. I don't know if it's, it's fine. You know why? It, it, if they're doing work in another meaningful way, exactly. then fine. But yeah. if they're just doing nothing because it's too uncomfortable, then that's bullshit. The, there's a part in Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, that I thought was brilliant. And she's talking about a quote from Desmond Tutu. Mm -hmm. And it's, we got to stop pulling people out of the river and go to the top of the river and find out why they're falling in. And there are way too many of us, myself included in my past, where it's let me give money to this thing or support this thing that addresses a problem and not the cause of the problem. We can't, because you might by your other actions in life be supporting the very thing that caused that problem. And especially, yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, wealthy white women who donate to causes and don't understand that the other parts of their lives are facilitating the problem that creates those causes. And I feel sorry for, I don't feel sorry for you, but you have a tough job and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go too deep in the well here, but someone would look at you and think you have a privilege because you're a white woman, but you are highly intelligent, super empathetic, sees the world for what it is and definitely wants to be on the right side of justice. So when you have to educate your folks and by your folks, I mean, your women, (laughs) your people, they don't understand it. 
Like they may look at you like, you know, but they don't understand it. They're like, what is this? Like, it's so foreign and you're privileged to so much. It's a, it's not a heavier burden. In fact, it's, it's something that I'm glad that you have because I quite frankly don't want to tell these white women what the hell's going on all the time. Like I, <laughs> Busy Phillips is a really good friend of mine. I had her on my yeah, podcast. Yeah. And I was like, Busy, she said, this is Busy quote. White women are so sneaky, Carrie. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then she goes into this thing. Yeah. And she said exactly what you said. She was like, I grew right. up where my mom gave money to situations. Right. She was she was like, but I realized it was more than, you know, giving a few blankets to the church. Now you right. gotta do more. Well, and the key is to identify whether someone just needs to be educated mm. and then will do the right thing, or if they are aware and they choose to not be on the right side of it. Because I do think that <sighs> we all come upon that awakening at a different point and to be too harsh when you could be on the side of helping someone come to the to the right side, mm-hmm. you then lose that opportunity. And I think that also stems from too much of our social media interaction, which is a place where we don't seek to connect. On that note, though, we will we will wrap up in saying that I'm I'm thrilled to see all the success you're having. It's really fun to Thank watch you. and see all Thank the things you. you guys are doing. I look forward to hearing all the colors and outdoor, indoor, and other choices that you make for season two <laughs> of the show and listening to the podcast. Um, you've been here before, so you've done the Spanish Inquisition. We have some new questions. Okay. But next time, we'll give you the full, truly updated, all new questions. They'll be perfectly crafted to expose all of the things that you're most deeply insecure about sharing. (laughs) I'm just going to get to work on those right now is what I'm going to do. Carrie, thanks for being here. Always great to talk to you. Oh, God, I adore you. You're so, I mean, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. I feel like saying Sarah, Sarah. I know no one's ever done that, but, you know. Well, not anyway. in that particular way. I'm not sure what song you were going for there. Uh, you, I, I can't sing, so that's <laughs> why. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. So this is the end of the pod where I, uh, I rant about something I hate or I rave about something great. I tell you what to read. I tell you what to listen to. Sometimes I'll tell a story. Uh, whatever's on my mind, really. And as I mentioned earlier, what's been on my mind is this feeling of burnout. And nothing in particular is is going worse or differently. I just feel like I'm in this cycle that I can't get out of. And I think for me, a lot of it is I usually fill so much of my free time with social life and costume parties and hanging out with friends and filling up my tank in that way. And it offsets all the work I do. And for the last year or so, I've just been doing the work with so little of the social payoff that allows me to be that person who go, 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 goes. I don't actually like relaxing that much. It's okay sometimes, um, but I get stressed about whether I'm relaxing well, (laughs) right? Like, am I reading the books I said I wanted to read when I had free time? Am I watching that show everyone recommended? And for me, what fills up my tank is being around people and and getting their energy. And I think that's why I'm sort of hitting this wall here where I need some nice weather and I need some more time with people out doing things. Um, So my two things, in case you're doing uh, some of that soul searching yourself right now and feeling the same way, one is a Brene Brown podcast with the authors of Burnout, which is a book that talks about the science behind stress and the exhaustion many of us are feeling now a year plus in the pandemic with some really fascinating and helpful conversations about how feelings, which, by the way, are named that for a reason, not thinkings, but feelings, because they are neurological and they happen in your body, top to bottom, head to toe. And if we don't let our feelings and our stress responses complete a cycle, if we instead repress them or ignore them, our body physically reacts to that. So back in the day, because of evolution, you're doing something like being chased by a bear. You find a safe refuge, you come to a stop, 
you take deep breaths, you give someone a hug, you laugh about how you managed to escape the bear, and all of those clues tell your body that you're in the clear. You're safe. You're physically letting your body know that that stress event is over. But our stresses now are not being chased by a bear. They could last days or months. And we don't let ourselves properly feel them and end the physical responses that accompany them. So it's a really useful lesson. It's Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. And if you just search for that with uh, burnout, you'll find the links to it. It's really a good listen. Also, a good read in the New York Times it's uh, the headline is We Have All Hit a Wall by Sarah Lyle. And there aren't really necessarily great fixes in it, not a lot of solutions, but there is some peace in feeling like you're not alone and that a lot of people are sharing the same feelings. Um, here's a quick snippet from it. Natasha Raja, a professor of psychiatry at McGill University who specializes in memory and the brain, said the longevity of the pandemic, endless monotony laced with acute anxiety, had contributed to a sense that time was moving differently, as if this past year were a long, hazy, exhausting experience lasting forever and no time at all. The stress and tedium, she said, have dulled our ability to form meaningful new memories. There's definitely a change in how people are reporting memories and cognitive experiences, Professor Raja said. They have fewer rich details about their personal memories and more negative content to their memories. This means, she said, that people may be having a harder time forming working memories and paying attention with, quote, a reduced ability to hold things in their minds, manipulate thoughts and plan for the future. Add to that a general loneliness, social isolation, anxiety and depression, she said, and it's not surprising that they're having trouble focusing on their work. Again, not a lot of solutions in that story, but it's nice to read people across all different jobs and industries kind of experiencing similar things. And I think talking about them and expressing them to each other will probably help us all keep getting through it. It's called We Have All Hit a Wall in the New York Times. I hope you haven't hit a wall. I hope this helped at least. Uh, and, you know, keep at it. We'll get through this. You can always tweet me if you've got uh, guest suggestions, questions, or more at Sarah Spain. And always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Rate it. Five stars, please. Give it a review. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 